Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And today I'll be talking with Wojciech Pesbilski. Wojciech is the editor-in-chief of Visegrad Insight, part of a Respublica Foundation. And we talk about media sovereignty, media as a public service, and also the future of media in a digital world. And after conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of July. I'm here with Wojciech Psybilski. Wojciech, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Hello. Yes, it's my pleasure. Oh, it's the pleasure is all mine. And I have you here. I already introduced you as editor-in-chief of Visegrad Insight, part of Respublica Foundation. And later in the podcast, I'm going to ask you to please tell us a little more about not only the foundation, but also the group Visegrad Insight. But for now, I want to have your thoughts. One thing that it really, really interests me, and that is the future of press, the future of media, and especially when you think about you know, investigative journalism and opinion journalism. And you do have an experience on that, and we're going to start exactly here, because you already work with a pan-European network of cultural magazines called Eurozine.com. Tell us a little bit uh, that experience that you have. I've been editor-in-chief of Eurozine for uh, two years, but in fact, Respublica um, and Visegrad Insight is part of Respublica Foundation in Warsaw, uh, has been member organization of, of Eurozine Network for a number of years. And it's a, it's a bunch of um, uh, journals, more than 80 um, intellectual magazines, cultural magazines from all around Europe uh, that were uh, put together in the 90s by, by a group of intellectuals from, from around different countries of, of, uh, of Europe, not only European Union, that, um, that dreamed and still dream of, of a common European public space in which journalists, analysts uh, bring together reflection on, uh, on their countries on the state of uh, state of their own uh, public spheres, and uh, and then interact with with one another with with those uh, different languages uh, that that Europe is so specific about different cultures, but at the same time bringing to readers one genuine and multilingual uh, European culture. So, so that, that's Eurozine. And, and through Eurozine and through our own individual projects, we, we have been practicing uh, a lot of transnational journalism. Visegrad Insight, uh, for instance, is, uh, is also a model in which we ourselves are publishing in English, but whatever we publish and comes from, and of, always comes from journalists, uh, from other countries as well, not only from Poland, but 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 uh, analysts and and journalists come from countries of Central Europe, uh, but also from from other uh, parts of the world, part, parts of Europe and parts of the world. We have uh, authors from from all around the world, but importantly, we collaborate with uh, dailies and weeklies where where those opinions and those analyses uh, are are republished in national languages, uh, so that. It actually aspires also to build up a, a European, um, a truly European public debate, public space um, in, in our corner, in our, our little corner in Central Europe. A lofty goal. But regarding yourself, do you see 
yourself more than as an editor, exactly doing that work of getting together all those pieces? Or do you see yourself also as someone that is doing journalism? What, what, where are you right now? So I, I do journalism too. We do, I do a report and there is, a, there is an element of my own input into the debate beyond editorial work. It is actually all of our team members are exchanging the, the, those um, positions, so to say. So we're not working only with, with texts of someone else, but from time to time we also take our stance and um, investigate uh, issues that are of our primary concern and importance. Uh, but then again, we, 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 do, um, we do publish and we, we care for all the journalists working with, with whom we're working so that they are also uh heard and they are they're together with us making this debate important my my particular focus is in the areas of uh, security and democracy in central europe um i have an eye for uh for all this digital uh culture digital changes in um in central europe specifically what does what does the digital age mean for central european Uh, civil society, businesses, media. Uh, an important part, an important element that I've been working on for several years now, actually since since the war in Ukraine started, when Russia invaded Ukraine uh, around 2014, uh, this was the moment where we started um, immediately, nearly immediately, to follow and to uh, both translate and produce our own uh, analysis in Respublika, first in Polish and also in English in Visegrad Insight, um, on the importance of, uh, of what is today called information war or, or major disinformation. So I was reporting from, uh, from the opening of Stratcom, uh, NATO uh, Center for Excellence on Communication, and uh, um, that was open in Riga uh, around that time. To, to analyze that that is devoted to anal analyzing and um, identifying the patterns of disinformation. I've been uh, working on the theme of um, reporting the narratives that are uh, uh, disruptive narratives penetrating public spheres in Europe. And recently, um, I, I worked. Um, Much more, and that's that's a that's a topic and a theme I I want to devote much more time to is the information sovereignty, the question of of media spaces, media uh, spheres, um, fought broadly, not not simply through the lenses of media, but also through the through the question of of security, and democratic security. And you do have a very interesting. Um report and I'm going to put that report on the uh, description of the podcast a link for our listeners to go to which is information sovereignty scenarios for central europe a work you did with uh, Gil and Dell which is at Visegrad Insight website which also I'm going to put a link and as you described you have the experience you already have you know all that knowledge inside knowledge so let me start by going into the main Uh, topic of our conversations and the reason that I asked you to come here and talk with me. One of the things that you mentioned is centralization of media, especially when decentralization is focused on the state, 
the state as the provider, the responsible, the disseminator of news and information. Tell our listeners why this is a problem. Well, we can discuss that in a in a perspective in a in a context of a of a particular case. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I think that will be better under that would be understandable later on. Uh, usually, we are talking about public media, and public media is this wonderful, beautiful, and really, uh, when when done rightly, it's it's a great concept of providing uh, impartial, non-partisan information to gen general audience, and also per that the information that is not pursuing some sort of financial goals and aims, but rather uh, tries to educate listeners and. And in that way, build up uh, democratic resilience. What we also, what, what I will later on also call again, mm -hmm. information sovereignty of, of the society. It's a it's a situation in which we have uh, the uh, the old classy BBC, uh, or uh, it's a situation in which we have public radio, let's say, uh, um, and public TV in Czech Republic. Uh, in, 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 and in that case, taxpayers are paying for, uh, for those media, but the government is not in control mm -hmm. of the personnel and on the, of the decisions uh, that are uh, editorial decisions that are taking in those media. Something else is happening at the same time um, in, in some other countries. Not to say that BBC or Czech, in, uh, Czech radio is not... Uh, is free of political uh, influence currently. There, there, there is some deterioration of the concept, but I think it can be well defended, and it will, it will defend itself. It will prevail overall. Mm -hmm. But what we have seen in Hungary, what we are seeing now in Poland as well, is um, is a situation in which the concept of public media is privatized by the governing party for their own. Uh, benefits. So they are, though so the governing party, uh, Fides, uh, took full control of the of the public media and made it national governmental um, uh, tube to channel mostly governmental propaganda. Um, and the same in in, in Poland, the, the the similar situation happened in Poland, in which the public uh, media has been rebranded to national media. And the, the control over the messages, the narrative, the, the, the setup of, uh, of such, a, um, such a broadcaster is solely decided by one party and for their political party interests rather than being some sort of a um, general public good driven mm -hmm. agenda. So this is, this is one element of what's happening. And then we can see again the case of Hungary. Uh, what may what may happen next in the in the case of uh, the government in Budapest? We have seen how bit by bit the media market and uh, free competition, the free market competition in uh, in the case of Hungary, has been undermined by a strong intervention of of uh, the government into the advertising market, into the media sphere, uh, by use of proxies, uh, governmental proxies. Uh, who were buying out uh, outlets one by one, and then all of a sudden they uh, amassed them, uh, they they put them together, 
uh, into one media holding that is completely under control of the government. So now, by, by, by the by April 2020, we have a situation in which the government does not control only uh, previously public media, now governmental media, but also controls uh, a number of previously private titles, uh, outlets, mm -hmm. uh, press outlets, uh, websites, uh, radio, TV, which um, which are under one umbrella. And when it when a critical moment like election comes, they channel exactly same political messages to to the level of absurd in which the same photos, same headline, same title is being. Uh, replicated in in all of those, so this is a, a radical case. Uh, you would say something unbelievable in today's Europe, but it is happening, in which um, in which this massive centralization is actually uh, uh, um, taking place, and it brings uh, a lot of of challenges, a lot of of dangers um, to. Uh, to the to the other element of, of, of what I was talking about, the, the security, the element of security that is uh, often referred and also in the European Union debates, it's about its uh, malign foreign influence, the messages of, of countries of authoritarian regimes that try to um, undermine trust in democracy, in the democratic process, in democratic Western uh, institutions in, in Europe, um, by uh, by fueling the the public space with narratives that are uh, disruptive, they're false very often, but they are intelligently false. So they're a mix of truths and false. Uh, and it would be, and it's usually uh, uh, it it happens then when you have a public broadcaster, then the public broadcaster can can easily isolate those cases and distance themselves uh, against them. But what happens in Hungary, and that was discovered by uh, Oxford uh, Internet Research Institute, uh, the Reuters, uh, sorry, Reuters Institute uh, at Oxford, the research said that in, in Hungary, although you do not have those disruptive media like Sputnik or Russia Today, RT, but you have uh, their messages being uh, copied or replicated in Hungarian by the very, very government uh, media themselves. And that that poses uh, great risks, uh, on, not only on Hungarian level, but on the European level. Yes. So they, they serve as an echo chamber, as a propagator, even if it's not directly, they, they keep the, the message going. So um, I'm, ter I'm terrified of what you what you just said, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners feel the same way as you and I do. So what can people do to fight this cycle where the public media and part of the private media, it's transformed into state media, and then they have the overhand regarding how to create narratives, how to spread uh, information and misinformation? Well, there is much more to be done, just like with any disease, you, you it's better to prevent than to cure. Uh, so first of all, I would focus on 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 where you need to look uh, in order and what you need to care for in order to protect any public sphere from from such um, takeover and centralization, and that is, that is uh, proper legislation mm -hmm. and looking into how to protect multiple stakeholder media environments so that 
So eventually we don't have something that is also very bad from economic point of view, a monopoly. So we don't have a, dom a dominant uh, economic actor that undermines the chances of the others to compete um, as, you know, even, even not, uh, even if we're not discussing yet messages mm, that are there. So the, the competition is important, especially in the media market, also on the economic level, not, in, not, not the competition that is about hostile takeovers. Media is a very delicate space where you need to protect uh, very minuscule, if any, uh, revenues. Um, the, 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 the profits, uh, revenues are there, but the profits might not might be minuscule uh, for, uh, for, the pub, for the public interest. The media are... Uh, done, not uh, just like politics or judiciary, not for uh, economic gains. Media are the fourth estate uh, which uh, which guard our democracy. So this is this is an important, crucial element. The legislation that allows for um, for equal competition on the market. That involves also um, elements that touch upon uh, the ability to compete uh, for different. Um, revenue sources. So on one hand, we, we see that media over the last 30 years, since the beginning of internet, have been going on, a, on the wrong path, pretty much, my opinion, which, uh, which was uh, giving away content for free. On one hand, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic uh, tool, this internet. But even we see uh, dramatic pleads uh, from Wikipedia, the most widely quoted and most widely read source of information online, and it needs money. It needs to be sustained. And we need to think then, you know, how it is going to be sustained. How is it going to be private subscribers, uh, a pool of, of different donors, uh, or, uh, or very... Uh, very specific advertisers that are going to, to enter. And media, unfortunately, have been uh, gradually uh, moving towards a fully uh, the model which is uh, mostly driven by advertisers. Only in the recent years um, there were attempts, and some of them very successful, at uh, building, up, um, building up some more resilience with subscription-based online journalism, when we speak at least um, about the, 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 the press, the media that you read online. But at the same time, you see uh, a model of, for, for TV as well, where you actually start to become a subscriber of uh, specific media channels where you pay directly through some platforms uh, to become their subscribers. Because uh, the, the, the streams of, of, of revenue the media are dependent, especially that's visible during uh, today's crisis, uh, may not be the best way to upkeep um, uh, any media model. Uh, the advertising budgets uh, in the last couple of weeks just collapsed, stopped, have been paused, uh, uh, will be reshaped for sure. Um, and at the same time, media are completely depending on, the, on, on those uh, on those money, without uh, without a, uh, a proper base of, of subscribers, um, they're very much exposed. So, uh, so again, uh, making sure that on the on the on the revenue side, uh, also that's a task for legislation. 
there there is a good and healthy proper mix of 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 revenue sources i i believe not everyone can upkeep their model by simply uh withdrawing to or relating only to a subscription model but at least a, a healthy mix is something that should be uh, should be very much advised and then there is a whole technological aspect of it and um so you can, I can imagine that you have, uh, you can do a lot um, to protect the media markets as they are. Also, how they transform and need to transform. There is, there is a lot of digital tools on the market um, where, where media, in order to be independent, they, they go online, com- completely online with these new tools. And uh, I've been mentioning and writing about uh, Slovak case, Denik and. One of the fantastic cases of of a startup uh, built by a a number of journalists that were afraid that their mother outlets or the original outlet they've been writing for uh, could be taken over by uh, by major economic interest group, uh, not not totally free of corruption. Um, And they decided to... uh, to start something new, to be independent based on subscription. In Slovakia, they um, they did it uh, with success rate that is an example to the whole world, practically, whole media world. Uh, they managed to uh, to bring Denniken now to the to the level of top six uh, internet traffic um, sites uh, when it comes to when it comes to uh, you know gen- uh, Slovak internet, and uh, that is just about matching um, the main the other main outlets in Slovak uh, information in uh, internet, and they did it with a completely new subscription model and uh, mostly built around uh, I mean completely built around digital with only recently added uh, paper edition, so. You can do it, and that also shows that you can do it with the proper use and the proper philosophy behind uh, application of digital tools uh, in in media. This is of great importance, and one thing that I uh, wanted to talk to you, and you already touched upon it, but I'm going to stay here for a little more, because... Going into this either mixed models, like for example, some of uh, the major newspapers online, they have that, which is they, they'll give you three articles for free, but then from then on, you'll have to go through their paywall and you have to pay for a subscription or that Slovak model. Because one of the things that was really scaring me, and fortunately, this thing is changing a little bit, was the clickbaiting was the let me have more clicks so that I can have more traffic so that my uh, commercials, my ads have more views and with that I will make more revenue. That, in my opinion, and of course I'm going to ask what you think about that, that was a poison pill. That was not a, a good way to do either journalism or information to the public. What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree with you. I have more to say. <laughs> By now, we 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 see, and again, the case uh, the case of Central Europe uh, could be illustrative, um, just for any part of the world, that in internet, uh, I mean, the digital ads have overtaken uh, by volume uh, 
TV ads. So the last two years, practically, we've seen that the total volume of digital ads has, uh, has been higher than, than TV ads. Now, the problem with this is, um, I mean, it's good on one side because obviously everybody is using the internet, but there is a problem. There, there, is, um, there is an element in which we perhaps we didn't pay attention where most of this digital ads market, um, more or less 50-50, is divided by two players, Facebook and, um, and Google. And the, advertise, uh, the, the advertising on those platforms went out of control. It went out of control also simply because of the volume of advertising that goes through uh, online uh, with all forms of this digital advertising from uh, promoted ads to, uh, to, to, to videos and, you know, all the, all the digital ads you see uh, on either platform, be it on Facebook or uh, as they're embedded in different other media. Uh, there is no, there is no uh, personal responsibility for overs- in overseeing overseeing those ads. You can react if you see something uh, strange uh, in retrospect to to pull it out, but there is no uh, human control behind those ads. And uh, those ads are also very smart. They're uh, they they involve some machine learning or something that people call sometimes AI. I don't the artificial intelligence. I don't think it's artificial intelligence, but it is at least machine learning. So they're fastly adapting to the behavioral uh, patterns of, of of users online. So that's the base. It's still very good. I mean, all these developments are, are fantastic, and, and Google and Facebook have developed really great tools for advertisers. However, world is not perfect. And, um, and by now, uh, there are two problems related to that. One problem is related to uh, how much of digital advertising is actually seen by humans. Uh, the, estim- the estimates are, uh, frankly, not very good for the advertisers, for the businesses that pay for advertis- uh, advertisement. So the American Association of National Advertisers uh, in their uh, reports suge- recently suggested that digital ad fraud is up to 50% of digital ad budgets. Digital ad fraud is um, extraction of funds from digital budgets, digital advertising budgets, uh, by organized groups that use bots and trolls on specific websites that profit from it uh, to make false clicks, to imitate human behavior, and uh, and therefore uh, uh, make platforms that operate ads charge their customers, which are big businesses, uh, for something uh, that big the customers think are, are real humans, consumers making uh, some decisions after after seeing those ads, but but in fact they are bots. So there there were first uh, organized uh, criminal activities uh, discovered uh, in 2018 by by cooperation of FBI and Google, and we will see more of that. So there is a, a fundamental. Um, uh, breach in, in in that element that that in the system of digital ads that uh, permits uh, permits uh, bots to view uh, and to, to to influence 
the media market so much. Uh, and we also see first results of that. And the, and the results uh, that I have in mind is decision from 2017 by Procter & Gamble uh, to limit, to lower their digital advertising budget, yearly advertising budget by $140 million. And then again in 2019, maybe they made a decision in 2018, but in 2019 what I found was they uh, decided to lower the budget uh, again by another $200 million as a response to lack of accountability of, of those ads. Because it's also at the same time very hard to determine uh, you know, whether your ads are massively abused by, by some organized groups or, or simply they're lost by, by regular crawlers uh, like the bots that, that check on, on different sites and they also register traffic. So th this element of lack of trust is a serious problem for advertising budget, but it's also a very, very serious problem for media because media rely heavily on the, on the digital uh, ads and uh, especially those digital media. In, in a case there would be a massive withdrawal of uh, advertising budgets, this brings a lot of exposure uh, to media, not only economic exposure, but also exposure to non-ethical actors who are uh, willing to, to put forward campaigns and pay for and, and put forward budgets, uh, digital ad budgets for campaigns that um, would push media into different directions. And here we're thinking about China, Russia, Iran, or organized groups, crime groups that uh, may have no, they may use some agents, of course, or proxy to put forward some ads in case of such a media, advertising media um, fracture or collapse, and um, therefore drive editorial decisions. Uh, if if editor, this is the second point. If if editorial decisions are driven by such um, malign advertising campaigns, and rest assured, part of those editorial decisions are at least influenced by how many people click, uh, how many at least editors believe there are people click on on uh, on articles. Then such stories, uh, stories of a particular angle are further pursued and uh, pursued and, uh, and, and, and other journalists are encouraged to write about them. But at the same time, with no accountability on, on the ads, on, the, um, on, the, on checking who is actually viewing your stories, you as an editor or publisher, you do not have full control. And very often you're pressed uh, by um, uh, from the side also of, of the economic interests of, of a particular outlet. You simply need to follow the money um, in, in order to, to decide on stories. Well, Wojciech, you did a tremendous job in this podcast, which was you, you came with a lot of boxes and you just opened them. And now we, I feel like I should... I need to have you back on the podcast to continue to explore some of the points that you mentioned that, that there were fascinating ones. But for now, as we uh, get into the end of our conversation for today, please tell our listeners a little more about the work that the Visegrad Insight does, the work you do. Um, I follow the work. I normally I am a part of the Visegrad Insight breakfast now online, of course. So tell us a little more about the work you guys do. 
so Visegran Insight uh, is bringing together a group of analysts and journalists from Central Europe, uh, thought leaders, really, uh, who, uh, who, who join on the cause of um, uh, improving and uh, amending, if necessary, uh, the, the, the holes and gaps in the public sphere uh, in Central Europe on, on, the, on the cases of um, security and democracy, whatever are there, whenever we see there are challenges that need to be met and to be think, fought, fought um, about, uh, then we report on it. We do it through transnational journalism. We publish in English on our website, visegradinsight.eu. Uh, but at the same time, we collaborate with daily, daily uh, newspapers and weeklies, the best in the region. So you can read those stories at least in one national language um, per piece in, um, uh, in those outlets. And we also bring a lot of analytical work and conferencing and truly think tankish uh, perspective by organized, dedicated, closed, off-the-record meetings with uh, decision makers, with uh, influencers, uh, analysts, focusing on uh, on our reports or uh, or the reports that others do. And very recently, we have published uh, the report on information sovereignty futures. Uh, futures is a scenario means a scenario-based report, uh, a model that we have developed uh, some time ago. Uh, and this futures report, uh, scenario-based report, explains what are the possible uh, developments on the media market in Central Europe, and what sort of uh, security uh, dilemmas there are from the point of view of democracies. Um, ahead of us. And I believe our report only highlights the problems that are part of Central European problems, but you can look at them at the broader picture and, and cross out Central and think European uh, yes. and, and ask similar questions there. Indeed, all this will be on the description of the podcast. I strongly recommend our listeners then to follow not only the work by Wojciech, but also the Visegrad Insight Again, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I hope to have you back because this is something that it's really interesting and really important. And you're doing a tremendous job explaining these things. And I would, uh, again, would love to continue this conversation with you. It will be a pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm back just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. And if you like it, give us a five star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by ELF for this last weeks of July. On the 18th of July, based in Zagreb, Croatia, we have European Trainers Academy out to do an online training. And this, lo and behold, it's online. European Trainers Academy is a project that will establish an ELF framework for training of trainers in order to further promote capacity building and improve the quality of training across the Liberal Network. To know more about this event, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place.
The Liberal Europe podcast is organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.